You're listening to What the History, a podcast where two nerds talk about some awesome, crazy, random stuff you probably don't remember learning about, but you're going to now. Hey, nerds, this is Sarah and Casey. We are here with the second part of our last episode. So we're going to talk some more about weddings uh, mm-hmm. after after a short break last week that we decided we deserved because we <laughs> didn't Slash sleep. Desperately, yeah. desperately needed. <laughs> yeah. So we took a break and now we're back with weddings. It's not like weddings is emotionally taxing. We were just like, we need to not yeah. exist. Yeah. I mean, I spent most of last week on my couch watching CNN. So right. like, and like, low-key sweating so I feel like I just needed a week off <laughs> yeah to, like absorb what's happened basically but now we're so, back and we know yeah. all about weddings around the world yeah yeah so this week is going to be focused more on non-western weddings and of course I say that with the caveat of me now explaining Australian weddings first which is like pretty western um, but Sarah and I realized that like I mean, what we figured when we looked at it, it was really just like white European Western culture. Yeah. So like, that's really why this part two is happening because there's so many other traditions and cultures and values that like we didn't want to have to like half-ass last episode. Yeah. So we figured it would be cool to be able to split it up and do some weddings around the world. So yeah. And we more, I think, talked about, talk about kind of what weddings are like now and a little bit of how they got that way. It's not as much history as the last one but we just wanted to make sure we talked about what weddings look like in all these different places yeah and there are some cases where we'll talk about like where the traditions are rooted in but for the most part it's also just like cool to learn about how other cultures and people do these types of celebrations so Here at What the History, we kind of do whatever the fuck we want. Yeah, we're in charge. (laughs) We are fully in charge. Look how capable we are. Yes. (laughs) We're thriving. If someone would like to sponsor us and tell us what to do, that is okay as well. Also fine. We will take direction (laughs) as well. (laughs) We are very flexible people. Yes. All right. Yeah. So let's just get right into it. So the history of weddings part two, starting with Australia. So the first note I have for this, and I don't know why, is that Australia (laughs) only allows monogamous marriages. Okay. I don't know why I was like, I have to make sure to write this down. Yeah, it's very important. Um, I think the real reason I wrote it down was that last part I wrote, which was um, that any traditional Aboriginal marriages are not recognized, Mm -hmm. which is something I'll get into in a minute when we talk about like what like aboriginal peoples used to do and still sometimes do and we do talk a little bit about cultural cultural appropriation for australians so in australia you can legally get married at 18 but in some cases you can get married at 16 or 17 with a parental consent and court authorization so something i thought was cool was like the couples need to provide a marriage celebrant so basically this is like an officiant they need to give this person something called a notice of intended marriage and it has to be at least one month before their intended ceremony so like the way that we do it in the states is you have to get a marriage license and then the state or country or whatever like the state technically approves you to get married right right but in this case it's almost reversed it's like the couple says hey we are intending to be married and then the celebrant's like okay and there's actually no 
like licensing required for marriages in Australia, which I thought was pretty interesting. That is because now I'm thinking about it. The word license is weird. Yeah. It's like, <laughs> like here's your license to be married. OK. Well, yeah, it's literally just another way for states to collect money from you. I think it was like twenty eight dollars right. for Eric and I to fill out our marriage. License, yeah. Which was like a whole thing with this pan- like pandemic. Like, holy yeah, shit. True. I mean, it was like and the only person who was available to do it was my grandma because she's the only person that doesn't like work anymore so this like 76 year old woman had to like roll up in a mask and like sign me away basically cute Yeah, it was great. Thanks, uh, thanks, Nanny. Shout out. I know you don't know what a podcast is and you'll never hear this, but I'm just but, putting it out into the ether. Yeah, it's fine. So, so traditionally in colonial New South Wales, marriage was an arrangement of convenience. So if you don't know anything about Australia, you should remember that it was once a colony of the British Empire and it was more specifically a penal colony. And so I'm going to pause for a second to let everybody laugh at the word penal. Yep. Penal. Penal. Okay. I did say penal three times now. Mm -hmm. So basically it was like where prisoners were sent um, as their punishment. Yes. So think of it as like a huge. Yes. I was. Dude, shut the fuck up. I was just going to say. So think of it as like a huge Azkaban. God, I literally love you so much. Which I understand the actual reference for that is Alcatraz, but no. Yes, yes, but no, but it's better, I think. It's like a it's a continent wide Azkaban. Right. So wow. Perfect. Um so f- there were actually female convicts that went there. And I feel like we gotta do like a little like history of Ooh, Australia yeah. at some point, because this seems cool as fuck. But basically, if you got married, you were no longer incarcerated, which okay. seems weird. I think. I think that's what I understood. I might be completely okay. wrong. And if we have Australian listeners, hit me up. Uh, because I I don't know if that's true. But you also couldn't get a land lease if you were unmarried so basically you had to like does that include men or just women i think it was both okay i mean it it probably was mostly directed towards women but because the men there were technically like not considered to be equal citizens yes exactly so that's what i'm imagining um so in some traditions in australian weddings it's common for both parents to walk the bride down the aisle Um, And that actually sometimes happens for sons as well. So like the groom will be walked by his mother and father down the aisle so that he can wait for the bride, which I love. I really like the idea of both parents walking down the aisle too. Yeah, Um, that's much better. Yeah. Uh, wedding guests may participate in what's called a unity bowl ceremony. So basically, it's a tradition where guests, <laughs> this was so weird, but I loved it. It was so Australian. Um, so guests fill a bowl with small, colorful stones during the ceremony. So mm. I don't know if this is like, okay, everybody, now take your stones and put them in the bowl, or if guests just like randomly walk up to the bowl during the ceremony and drop their stones. I'm imagining yeah. it's like a part of it. I wonder if maybe it's passed around. That's what I'm thinking too. But then I'm also thinking, like that must be so annoying like the clinking of stones in this bowl but I don't know so basically the colors might represent different attributes qualities and like just people so you know if you have like a certain type of stone or certain color stone that's representing love or prosperity like that's kind of the idea behind it Mm -hmm. and then the couple gets the bowl and they keep it as a reminder of the support that they have from their loved ones from their wedding day moving forward Uh, another thing that's like possible another thing that's common for Australian couples if they're Christian is they actually receive a special Bible that has basically been passed down from generation to generation for safekeeping. So that's obviously if they're like uber Christian, I imagine. I don't think it's just like, you know, you went to church once. Here's a 400 year old family heirloom. (laughs) Right. But if your family has one. Yes. 
So another thing I saw was songs like Waltzing Matilda are played. And like apparently Waltzing Matilda is like an unofficial Australian anthem. Okay. I wrote down, I need to listen to the song. I have never heard the song. No, have you ever I, heard feel the like, song? I feel like I've heard of it, but I don't think I've heard it. Right. I'm like curious now, like what the fuck the song sounds like. Yeah. Like who wrote this song? I don't know. I do associate the name Matilda as being like a Australian name. Yeah. And the thing is like, I, I have, friends who are Australian like I grew up in Singapore for two years and we had Australian friends and like I feel like I remember okay I just hearing this song I just looked up the lyrics and this is wild okay go read it so the first verse once a jolly swag man camped by a billabong under the shade of a kulaba tree and he sang and he watched and waited till his billy boiled you'll come a waltzing Matilda with me There's a lot of words in here I've never heard in my life. I feel like I'm reading Jabberwocky. What the fuck? That's awesome. Down came a jumbuck to drink at that billabong. (laughs) (gasps) What? What was it? Jumbuck? Jumbuck. Up jumped the swagging and grabbed him with glee. And he sang as he stowed that jumbuck in his tucker bag. You'll come waltzing Matilda with me. That's not English. No. There's no way that's English. No. I mean, I'm sure we have some weird ass. Yeah. But what? I mean, I get it now that that's why it's the unofficial Australian anthem because none of the words make sense unless you live in Australia. Yeah. So apparently Matilda was a word for like almost a duffel bag, like a bag of your stuff you would swing over your back. So Matilda's not even a person? No. Like literally. So so this says, so the title was Australian slang for traveling on foot known as waltzing with one's belongings in a Matilda slung over one's back. Wow. A jumbuck is a sheep. Oh, oh my they're, God. they're capturing the sheep to eat. That's what's happening in this song. <gasps> and this is what people sing at the weddings? Yes. Wow. Original wow. lyrics written in 1895 by an Australian poet. I mean, like, I have they to They have an you. official Waltzing Matilda Day. I'm not often speechless, <laughs> but I actually have nothing. I, I can't even believe this. This is so cool. It's wild. Yeah. I love this so much. I'm going to start listening to this song. Same. Holy shit. Okay. Speaking of great music from Australia, didgeridoos are also commonly heard at Australian weddings, but not the entire time because literally nobody could survive that without, I think, going completely crazy. Fair. They sound really cool, but I feel like after a prolonged period of time, there has to be some sort of element of mind control. And you can fight me on that. There has to be, though. (laughs) Um, (laughs) I've never tried it, but you know. It sounds Um, right. So the bride and groom might also participate in a stone ceremony. So there's a lot of rocks, apparently. And um, this basically involves this couple throwing a rock into a body of water. And apparently it stems from when Australian settlers couldn't afford wedding rings. So they would take heavy stones and like throw it and sink it in the water in order to symbolize the idea of, quote, staying together as life ebbed and flowed around them, quote. So it's like, no matter what's happening, your love, which is the rock, will always be steady okay that's cute yeah i thought it was cool sometimes they serve something called lamingtons which are australian desserts of sponge cake squares coated in chocolate and coconut flakes okay um which i don't like coconut but i like sponge Same. cake and chocolate i don't like so, coconut but i like the idea yes 
Like, I probably would try it. Yeah. Rehearsal dinners aren't really a common thing. And a lot of times they actually sometimes don't even serve official dinners at weddings. They just do like heavy apps and alcohol, which sounds pretty awesome, actually. Yeah. There's also something called a smoking ceremony. And this is where I wrote, hello, cultural appropriation (laughs) and being problematic, because this actually comes directly from like Aboriginal Mm -hmm. traditions. So basically, like the couple gets like they basically like stand in the center i think and then people like burn an assortment of plants and herbs and it's believed that the smoke from that has like healing powers and they get waved over the couple and that like engulfs them with smoke and it wards off evil spirits and it brings good luck so that's something that like the aboriginals did but right it's almost like a version of saging them yes exactly yeah exactly in some aboriginal societies oh this is me talking about aborigines sorry Um, So in some Aboriginal societies, um, parents of marriageable girls basically play one man against another. So I think this is more like old school, which is pretty awesome. But it's basically like fight each other to the death for my daughter's hand in marriage, which I'm all for. Yeah. Like everyone gets a spear, go. (laughs) Um, (laughs) That's how it should be done. I'm just kidding. I would have one person fighting and it would just be (laughs) (laughs) There would be like no one fighting. He'd be fighting himself. Oh, that's so oh, sad. That's a sad image. Oh my god. Oh my god. It would be so sad. Oh. <laughs> oh it's fine. It's not a big deal. I'll it's be fine. fine. <laughs> um, so quote, for a marriage to be recognized, it was usually enough that a couple should live together publicly and assume certain responsibilities in relation to each other and toward their respective families, but it might be considered binding only after a child was born. Quote. So this I thought was interesting because this is kind of dabbling into like aboriginal marriage as a yeah like wedding because there necessarily wasn't always this type of like ceremony or like celebration right um sometimes aboriginal couples weddings were possible through elopement capture during feuding or fighting and redistribution of widows through something (laughs) called leverate yeah so (laughs) so like just saying the words redistribution of widows i enjoy it it's like inherently wrong yeah um but, but basically something so the leveret was a compulsory marriage of a widow to her deceased husband's brother okay so um that's interesting because in the catholic church that's like the opposite of what you're supposed to do i think in most places that's the opposite of what you're Is supposed it? to marry it- your dead husband's brother yeah I, yeah, I think generally speaking, that's not common. <laughs> that not, oh, is is that frowned upon in most societies? Generally, yes. <laughs> oh, okay. I don't know that that's a Catholic thing. <laughs> I, I see. I'm like, that doesn't seem too problematic unless you're Catholic and you're like, no, no, that's not good anywhere. <laughs> no, no, that's, I think, just generally like not a good idea. Well, well, it makes me think of is Henry VIII and his whole like situation and why Catherine of Aragon wasn't able to have a male heir was because he was convinced it was because he married his brother's widow. and he Yeah. So that's what I that's what it makes me think of. But like, in all fairness, you're probably right. That's probably not like something. That yeah. That makes me think of uh, um, Hunter Biden, who did date his like brother's widow. But that's fine. Wait, I didn't know that either. Oh, yeah. I have this like one weird conservative family member who enjoyed um, posting about it but i don't think they ever fake news no i i I checked wikipedia and it's like biden began dating hallie biden widow of brother beau in 2016 they didn't continue dating they broke up which i feel like is extra awkward but wow that's really rough 
Yeah. So I think of that. Um, and then I also think of I have like distant family member who married a guy and had a baby and then they, they got divorced and she married his brother and they had a baby and then he died okay. and then she married the first brother again. So she was married three times, same last name every time. And her kids are wow. like brothers and cousins. Ooh. Yeah. That's weird. I'm not biologically related to these people as a no. Right, right, right. Right. <laughs> Please, please note, I have They're no relationship to these family. people whatsoever. That's that's interesting, though. But I feel like at a certain point, you're like, you know what? I think I'm just testing my luck, and it's just not going right. to work out with this family. So yeah, I exactly. Go elsewhere. Yeah. Yep. Uh, and so my last fact <laughs> is <laughs> for Aboriginal weddings is polygamy was considered both legitimate and good, which I think is why in a lot of the like actual constitution of Australian marriages or whatever, it's not legitimate. Like you can't mm-hmm. just be like. We're having an Aboriginal wedding because it has to actually be through like the legal procedures of the country. Right. Uh, But basically what I saw was the average number of wives in a polygamous like union was like two or three. But in different parts of Australia. And again, I definitely think we should do an episode on this because it sounds cool as hell. Yeah. Um, and like example, for an example, like um, the Great Sandy Desert, you could have five or six wives, but among the Tiwi people, you could have 29. And among the Yongu, I think I said that right, 25 to 20 or 20 to 25 was like the norm. So okay. you could have anywhere from two to 25, depending on your region. Okay. Um, and so it said in such circumstances, women had a scarcity value. And I don't think I know what that means. Like, it means that women were scarce. And so you had to, like, really fight to the death, I guess. I guess so. So, yeah. So that's Australian wedding tradition slash Aboriginal wedding ideas or values. Um, Pretty Western. But, you know, we had some cool things in there. Yeah. So I'm going to do South America, um, which is technically still Western, I guess. But the sections I'm doing, just as a general disclaimer that I'll probably make every time are more regions than like one place right australia is a country you're going to talk about some specific countries i have sort of like continents obviously none of these continents are like an actual monolith they're made up of a bunch of different countries and there's variations between the different countries and within those countries and all that um so i tried to find the most kind of general information and then i'll talk about specifics in different countries um but just i'm aware that when i say like this is what they do in south america that's not a super meaningful statement because they do different things in different parts of south america right yeah i think for these it's it's almost easier to do region like continental regions because you do have a slew of traditions that are similar but also like really different right like when i get into like india and china it's like i mean it's so over the top that it's yeah. hard to like delineate so yeah. yeah so this is more generalized so what i say may not be true for like a certain area in a certain country but it's it's close yeah um so in south america over two-thirds of the country is catholic so most weddings there are pretty traditionally religious catholic ceremonies they're happening at a church mm-hmm. um but what's interesting is even though the region is very heavily Catholics, a lot of countries actually don't accept the religious ceremony as binding. So they have to have a civil ceremony in addition. So, I like that. Yeah. So it's often like a couple days before or a couple days after is they have to be officially married in a civil ceremony as well. Because okay. um, here you can kind of combine, right? Like the officiant who does your religious wedding can be ordained to sign your marriage license. Right. Yeah. But they keep it separate there. Um, and so most of the ceremony is kind of your traditionally Catholic ceremony, um, as we know it here. 
Um, but there's a couple differences. So they do something called Las Aras, um, which means the coins. And so a common South African tradition is that during the ceremony, the groom presents the bride with 13 gold coins. And so they represent his support and kind of like stability in the relationship. And there's oh, also, cool. yeah, there's also a religious meaning, um, Jesus and the 12 apostles. So 13 okay. coins. That's why that's the number. Oh, you know what? I was literally, I saw, I kind of glanced at your nose and I was like, there were 13 apostles? <laughs> like, holy shit. Like, I didn't know that. You no, know, the 12 apostles and Jesus. Yeah. Yes, so it represents it. that. Um, and then like as part of the ceremony, the priest performing it blesses the coins and they're passed back and forth between the bride and the groom. Okay. And it sort of varies how many times or in what pattern, but usually it ends with the bride having the coins at the end of the ceremony because they were a yeah, gift right. from the groom. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's one of the biggest like variations on the ceremony. Okay. Um, rings are... Like, I found a lot of stuff that said rings are very important there, which is probably similar to here, right? There's almost always rings as part of the ceremony. Um, But there were a couple, like, different things. So in Brazil, the bride and the groom will often get each other's names engraved into the ring. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. Um, And then in Argentina, both the bride and the groom wear silver engagement rings prior to the wedding. I love that. Yeah, and then during the ceremony, they replace it with a gold band. So oh, the, cool. the metal like means different things, right? Silver is engaged and gold is married. Yeah. Um, That's cool. Yeah, and then in Chile, they actually wear the rings on the right hand until the wedding and then move them to the left during the ceremony. Yo, I thought that's what you did. Like, I literally, really? when I first got engaged, I was like, okay, I wear it on this hand. And then I was no. like, no one, no one said anything. Oh, but then no. I was like, I don't know if this is right. So I Googled it and I... I was like, oh, you're supposed to keep it on the same <laughs> I like such it. an idiot. I don't know why I thought oh, that you, I don't that's know. That's okay. I learned literally two days ago that the line in the traditional vows is not with this ring, I be wed. It's I the wed. Oh, I, I knew that. <laughs> I learned that two days ago. Wait, that's really funny. With this ring, I be wed. I mean, it makes sense either it way. Sense. And literally the way I learned it is so sad. There was that um that wedding in Maine where like hundreds of people got COVID afterwards. Mm-hmm. And there was like a New York Post headline that said IV spread. And I was like, that doesn't even make any sense. And then I uh, figured out what was <laughs> They happening. got the bow wrong. Yeah. Damn it, New York Post. Fuck yeah. you. So that's the thing I just learned about regular old American weddings. Dude, haven't you ever seen The Corpse Bride? Yeah, but I don't remember that detail. Oh man, they're like pra- like Johnny Depp and whoever is yeah. the bride. Is it Helena Bonham Carter? Probably I don't know. Is. Probably they're like nervously practicing. You know, with this ring, Ivy wed. I just distinctly remember. How I probably thought they were saying B. Wow, that's incredible. I love that so much. <laughs> um, I love that so much. Yeah, so that's my fun thing. I just learned. Um, but basically, from the ring perspective, what I read a lot was that in a lot of South American countries. Um, um, it's common for both of them to wear engagement rings of mm, some sort, and they tend cool. to just be like a simple band. They're not like a big stone like they are here, but they'll both right. wear a simple band, and then part of the ceremony involves changing that in some symbolic way. Um, a lot of countries also use some form of binding, so it can be a cord, or more often it's a rosary during the ceremony. So there's some yeah. sort of wrapping your hands together imagery that happens a lot. I always liked that too. I wanted to do some type of like Celtic knot at my wedding, but like, yeah. I, I don't even know why. I just was like, it's the only non-cultural appropriation that I could do because I'm Irish. So. Right. Fair. <laughs> but we didn't do it because, you know, 2020. Yeah. <laughs> of all the things we were like, fuck it. We don't need to do a Celtic knowledge. Just yeah. It'll be okay. over with. <laughs> 
it would be okay. Um, so one of the things that I read that was interesting is traditionally couples didn't really have a maid of honor or a best man. Okay. This has kind of changed over time. Now they're more likely to have wedding parties like we know of in America. But what they have is something called a padrino and a madrina. And so they would be specially chosen people who had two roles. So they often sponsored the wedding. So they paid for a lot of it. Oh, um, and it, it could be your parents, but it could also be like an aunt or a grandparent or some important person in your life. Okay. Um, but they also acted as sort of like the godparents for the marriage. Oh, cool. And so I've heard of this in other like Orthodox religions, like my best friend's Greek Orthodox, and she did this for her cousins. It's a different word, but you're basically like a godparent for the marriage. Like, that's really cool. Yeah. Um, And so the padrino and the madrina do that as well. And so they have like a little part in some ceremonies and that would be their idea of a wedding party. But now it's more common to do both that and the tra- like the American traditional maid of honor, best man, bridesmaids, etc. I feel like I like the idea of having like a godparent for a marriage because yeah. it's like sometimes like you just have questions and you don't want to go to your own parents for it for whatever reason. Like yeah. either maybe you don't have a close relationship with your parents or like, I mean, you know, my parents are divorced. So there's some things that they can tell me that are super helpful, but then there are other things that didn't work for their marriage. So they don't really know how to give advice on that. So I like the idea of, or like they don't want to like talk to their daughter about like yeah. whatever, you know what I mean? So I like the idea of having like another, set of like adults or people that right. can help maybe guide you i like that that's cool yeah it's a neat idea um and they usually have some sort there's certain things that they usually sponsor like traditionally so like they almost always pay for the veil um and the oh, wedding okay. coins sometimes come from them and things like that and that, so they're not necessarily paying for like the entire wedding but there's certain elements that they're responsible for contributing as like okay. part of their gift um sometimes i i think i saw something that they'll often buy the flowers left for the virgin mary that they do at a lot of catholic ceremonies um okay so they're kind of like your little guardian angel oh i love that yeah um other than that the ceremonies themselves like i said are pretty close to what we know as a traditional catholic ceremony um usually they have very large receptions um lots of food lots of drinks late into the night big party receptions we used to be able to like i know yeah that was fun good times I, I like feel triggered watching old movies because i'm like remember when you sometimes i watch like, these i'm like gather. don't shake his hand oh i oh, know right. okay okay <laughs> don't kiss each other's cheek like yeah what? Well, it, it's okay never mind yeah Ugh. um Those one the days yeah good times 11 so one... months ago <laughs> <laughs> back in the day back in my day so one tradition that i thought was really cool and this is this happens in a lot of different south american countries it's called the cintas de la torta and so basically the cake is made and it has a bunch of strings falling out of it right there's a cake with all these like strings coming out of it and guests gather around and they pull out the strings and at the end of the strings there's like cutesy little charms and so it's been baked into the cake that way it's like a cake specifically for this. And so there's different little things on there. But one of the strings is like a very cheap wedding ring. Okay. And that, whoever ends up pulling that is the next to get married. So that's kind of like instead of the bouquet throwing, that's, that's cool. how they decide like you're the next one. And so they gather around this cake. I think a lot of times music will play and they all pull out these strings until somebody gets the ring. Oh my God. I love that so much. Yeah. Also something you can't really do socially distance, but that's cool No, but a cute idea. Unless you get really long string oh that'd be cool as hell oh my god you got like six foot long string right everyone's bigger like just so you know 
you're like drawn and quartering the wedding cake. Like, oh my god! <laughs> that's and that's so I didn't see it for sure, but I have to assume this is like a specific cake for this. And that right, there can't be like uh, this is the wedding cake people are supposed to consume. Yeah, exactly, because yeah. it's got to fall apart and stuff. Right, right. Um, and then the last thing I saw uh, initially, I saw that this was popular or common in um. Venezuela, but I saw it mentioned a couple other places. Some articles I read said like in South America, but some some articles I read like to say in South America when they clearly meant like one place. Okay. Um, some like to say in South America when they clearly meant Mexico, which is not South America. But anyway, Ugh, it's Central America. I know. Like there was a whole thing about mariachi bands, and I was no Mexico's North America. Is it well? Is I think it's. Hold on. North. Because no, Mexico, Canada, and the U.S. It is, but th- it's typically not referred to as being, because, ca- like, Canada, holy shit, I almost said <laughs> <laughs> Oh, my God. Because <sighs> America and Canada are so similar in terms of their culture, they're yeah. typically more aligned, and then that's why Central America, technically, it, like, sticks out. If you right. look at it as a continent, it is part of it. Like, okay. that's part of North so America. So we're both right. Yes, exactly. <laughs> All I was like, I know say, we're both right. I was yeah. like, no, it's North America. I didn't make that up. Well, yeah, because there's no such thing as Central America in terms of continent, yeah, but it is like it's like a region, basically. Right. But either way, Mexico is not in South America at these articles. Right. Correct. But anyway, so at least in Venezuela, maybe in other places, based on these articles, um, <laughs> it's considered good luck that at some point during the reception, the bride and the groom just leave. Right. So like they kind of sneak off together and people keep partying and having their reception. But at the end of the reception, they shouldn't be there. Like they shouldn't be the last people there or anything like that. Um, So that I thought was kind of like a cute. Yeah. Like it's supposed to bring good luck to their marriage. They just at some point decide, okay, we're going and go off and do whatever you do. If you if you really think about it, there's like zero alone time for the couple on their wedding day. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I remember. So I have a weird fascination with the Duggars. Right. And my God, you. So wait a second. Not only do you, <laughs> you like the royal family. You yes. talked about the Kardashians being our equivalent of yes. the royal family, and you also are obsessed with the Duggars. Yes, I love you so much <laughs> because they are they are such different like steps on the spectrum of they truly are. families, but like they're you all know, somehow I don't related. Like the Duggars, I'm just fascinated <laughs> by them. I can I name. Can't. I can name all 19 children. Do it. Do it. Okay. Let's see. Let's see if I can still do it. So Josh, Jana, John, David, Jill, Jessa, Ginger, Joseph, Joanna, Jedediah, Josiah, or Jedediah, Jeremiah, Josiah, Jason, James, Jackson, Justin, Josie, Jennifer, Johanna. Who am I missing? I'm missing one. You're at 18. I know. (laughs) Oh my God. That's incredible. Jana, John, David, Jill, Jessa, Ginger. I said Joseph, and I said it's always a boy. There's always a boy. I forget. Um, Joseph, Josiah, oh no, I forgot Jordan, the girl, Jordan. Wow. (laughs) So that's where I'm at. I am for the second time this episode, folks. Speechless. (laughs) (laughs) But so, so when they get, they don't kiss until they're married, right? And right, which I just yeah, I mean, sure, but so the one like I'm not judging, I'm a little, I'm like kind of judging, but like, damn, the one daughter they didn't kiss on the altar, they like walked, you know, they got pronounced husband and wife, they left, and then they had their first kiss in private, and it was like this huge deal. 
that like they would do it in private but they were like, like yeah, controversially we're... yeah they were okay. like but you're but they all all the duggars kiss on the altar but they were like well we're not gonna have any private time today they literally quite literally had never been alone together before they're married they're not allowed wow so how do they... you know that you really want to spend your life with somebody if you haven't been alone with them you do not is the answer <sighs> that's rough but they were, like, we're not gonna have any private time they're having huge thousand person weddings Mm-hmm. Like obviously, let us have Most our little of it private being time. Their own family, <laughs> right? Yeah, right. So that's wow. my little Duggar aside. I never thought we'd be able to connect the Duggars with South American weddings, but we here can. we are. We we can. Um, yeah, yeah. So they also <laughs> want a little private time sometimes. Yeah, that's fair. That's and, fair. And that's what I've got for South America, and also the Duggars. Cool. I mean, I I learned a lot about you. I learned a lot about. <laughs> South American weddings. I learned a lot about the Duggars. Yeah, like, everybody welcome. What an episode, man. We're, we're only like halfway through and I, I feel know. like I have so much knowledge. Uh, I know. So the next topic is something I was super stoked about, honestly, because this has always been like a weird fascination of mine. And it's Indian weddings. Yes. Because they always look like cool as shit. Um, like I like New Girl. And when I think about Cece getting married both times, I like always thought it was so sick to see how her weddings like came together and like just so I basically was like, all right, I really want to do India, which is why I think when we delineated, I was like, Can I do India? Okay, yeah. thanks. <laughs> So India, I'm sure people have heard of like an Indian wedding. So typically when we're talking about an Indian wedding, we're actually talking about like a Hindu wedding. There are other people in India who are not Hindu. But in this context, my disclaimer is I'm talking like pretty much about Hindu weddings. Yep. So these weddings vary by region, religion, community, and of course the personal preferences of the couple to be married as long as as well as their like financial situation. Because yeah, the shit that they do is incredible. Um. So if you know anything about an Indian wedding, they're commonly known as being very festive um, and there's a lot of colors and decorations and dances and music and costumes and rituals. And what I thought was really cool is there are about 10 million weddings celebrated per year in India. Damn. And I was like, how the fuck is that possible? And then I realized the population is yeah. so big yep. that that makes sense. Right. And about 80% of that 10 million are Hindu weddings. So that's why I focus mostly on Hindu weddings. Okay. So middle or upper middle class weddings have been known to be extremely expensive. The guest list can be of up to 500 people. And it's usually the bills usually footed by the parents of the couple. So I'm pretty sure it's not just like the, the bride or groom. I think it's actually both sets of parents contribute um celebrations can take up to one week depending on the location where it's taking place and i'll actually walk us through like what happens day by day cool in the case of it lasting for more than one day um and honestly the coolest thing that i saw is the way that they celebrate hindu marriage is very much focused on this deity called agni or he's the sacred fire god so there's going to be a lot of that like like involved in the way that hindu weddings are celebrated okay that sounds cool yeah um okay so day one (laughs) here goes my trash pronunciation Ugh. so oh, yeah. i got sorry. some of that when we get to um africa i'm like mm, should i try and <sighs> say this yeah and I, I i like and again i i'm disclaimer i don't want to be offensive i'm trying to say it the way that i think it's supposed to be said but i am incredibly white yep. and i probably should have done more research on pronunciation but um here we are so Fair. day one is the ganesh puja so this is a ceremony that occurs at home with the couple and their families as well as the bridal party and some close relatives and together they pray to the lord 
Ganesh, and the ceremony is basically believed to bestow good luck onto the married couple and their families, as well as to remove any obstacles that they may face together as a family. So from what I understood, the god Lord Ganesh is a god of like removing obstacles. So basically okay. his like his role is dissolving problems that might occur in life. Which I thought was sick. Yeah, I, I could use one of those. Yeah, right? <laughs> like, for real. Um, So day two is, like, jam-packed full of stuff. And it was so, so cool reading all about this. So the first thing in some cases they do is this ritual called pithy. So um, basically, it's this, like... So pithy is actually this paste that's made up of chickpea flour, rose water, and turmeric. And it's, like, a yellow in color. And this gets applied to the bride and groom by their families, like, on their skin and it's supposed to celebrate like good luck and like health and something like that so like the bride and groom each participate in this separately and then i'm sure most people have heard of this at least in some capacity the next step for the brides is the mehendi ceremony and this i thought was just so cool so is that the henna this is, mm-hmm, yep. yeah so this is when the bride and her female family members gather together and they apply their henna so the symbols that they apply are intricate and beautiful and they symbolize all different types of things that you want in a marriage like joy beauty spiritual awakening and like the idea of offering and i don't think i didn't really research too much into the history of this because there's so much to do with like hindu weddings that i didn't want to get like lost in it but i i don't know if the idea of offering was like offering the bride as a you know what i mean like i don't know Mm -hmm. it didn't seem like the bride was an offering but so it's believed that the deeper the color of the henna the stronger the relationship will be between the bride and groom as well as between the bride and the mother-in-law which i thought was really funny because it's like i feel like every time i've seen any type of wedding film whether it's like indian whether it's like western like it's always there's always this like conflict between a bride and the yeah yeah that's like a very cliche yes and i thought it was really funny because i was like oh this is universal (laughs) like this is anywhere Mm -hmm. (laughs) so so oftentimes the bride's actually let their henna dry for up to eight hours which is crazy i don't know if you've ever have you ever gotten henna little bits not like the big intricate stuff but i've done like henna tattoos you know me too yeah i've done that shit at like six flags where you're like or you're, you're like, like 12 and you're like i, I want a playboy like, bunny on my arm and yeah, like i was like at the retin fair and i was like i want a peace sign yeah yeah so like you don't- is i'm a grown-ass adult i have 12 real tattoos and sometimes i'm still like should we get henna tattoos <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I literally, like, I think about that all the time. Like, the shit that I used to want to get henna tattooed on my body that was, like, $40 at Six Flags. Yes. I'd have to beg my mom, and she'd be like, no, you're not getting that. And now I'm thinking about it, and I'm like, good call, mom. I probably wouldn't have let me get it either. See, I'm like, I still want to get a henna tattoo, even though I have actual real, like, permanent tattoos. Yeah, I have a few, too. I mean, I don't have anything big or intricate, but, like, I told, like, they're so cool. Like, I literally would the whole time I was reading this I was like I wish I had an Indian friend who was getting married can I like like lend myself out to be a bridesmaid at an Indian wedding so that I can experience like anyone need a token white person does anybody need a token white person very culturally sensitive for the most part I'm still learning but also I'm 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 a good talker I'm very organized I can print stuff out just like let me know (laughs) uh email us at wthistorypodcast at gmail Do you need a token white person at your Indian wedding? Call me. Look no further. <laughs> That's actually such a good idea. It sounds like um, the premise of a rom-com. Holy shit, you're right. I'm writing yeah. this down. <laughs> TM, Eric, TM, get TM, my book. TM, TM. Get my, get my recorder. 
<laughs> no, like how people have like little recorders. It's like idea for movie. Like, <laughs> oh my God. All right. Anyway. So like I said, sometimes they sit for up to eight hours to make sure that the color dries rich and dark. And this was really cool too. Typically it's, it's sometimes done with the bride and her family, like as the ones who are putting the henna on, but mm-hmm. From what I was actually seeing, and I did like a little bit of digging, you can actually hire Mahendi artists, especially here in the States, to put like the henna on the bride. Mm -hmm. And so what the Mahendi artist actually does is they will hide the names of the bride and groom in the henna for the couple to find later. And I wrote, that's the absolute coolest, right? Like how freaking cool is that? That's fun. Um, So then we have another ceremony that takes place on day two, which is Sanjeet. So this takes place the night before the wedding. It's an informal celebration where the two families meet and mingle, and sometimes the entire guest list is invited. And I thought this was really cute, too. Friends and family members, like, perform dances or skits or sing songs for the couple, and it's just, like, an informal, way cooler version of, like, a rehearsal. Yeah. Yeah. So then we have day three, which is the wedding. So the first step of this is called the Bharat, which is the groom's procession. And again, you've probably seen this and heard this, but mm-hmm. ugh, it's so sick. So the groom arrives on the back of a decorated white horse. And this is what officially begins the ceremony. So his friends and family dance and sing in a large circle. And the bride's family greets the groom. The two families embrace. They greet each other with like floral garlands. And then the groom gets escorted to the altar, which is called a mandap to await the bride. So something cool about the mandap is like it's similar to the Jewish, what is that called? So it's the hoopah? Hoopah? Yeah, the hoopah. Did I say that right? Hoopah, yeah. Hoopah, okay. So so it's similar to that in its structure. And then the canopy that's like laid over it is supposed to, I think, protect the couple. And then the four pillars represent the four family, the four parents of the couple. Okay. And then at the center of the mandap is this burning fire called the Agni, which is similar to like, it's literally named after the fire god that I was right. like, talking about before. So I don't know if it's like a real fire. Are we talking like a bowl of fire, like a cauldron of fire, like an Olympic torch of fire? There's so many options. But I imagine that there's got to be some like a candle. Like, I don't really know what's common in today's like Indian weddings, especially like Western Indian weddings. I'm going to image like you're like, yeah, look it up and let me know. They look like mostly kind of tiny little fire pits, like bowls of fire. Okay, that's cool. Yeah, they look really cool. Flame or is it like flame? Oh, no they're flames that's cool yeah you know what i'm picturing (laughs) you know those like halloween decorations that you can get that has like the fake flame yeah that's (laughs) that would be me because i'm I'm scared of fire that's what i'm picturing Okay, so regardless of the region or community, the ceremony itself has three key rituals that are pretty much universal no matter what. It's called the Kanyadan, the Panigrahana, and the Saptapati. Okay. I just like sweated so much saying those. Fair. Things. Okay. So the first one, like I said, is the Kanyadan. And so this ceremony is performed by the bride's father. Or if the father has passed away, a guardian of the bride's choosing performs this ritual. So it can be a brother, uncle, um, very close family friend, whatever. So the father brings his daughter to the groom and places her hand on his, on the groom's hand, not the father's hand. (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) Which marks the beginning of the ceremony. This is basically like what is pretty much similar in Western culture too. And a lot of like ministers, like our minister did this. He was like, okay, dad, you know, give Casey's hand to Eric. And like, it was kind of just like, it wasn't, I I guess. Yes, traditionally it was like passing of ownership yeah and then actually when when i had my hand in eric's the minister was like she's your problem now 
good. <laughs> it's like, that's fair. That's totally Thanks. fair. So then they recite something called the Kama Sutka or Sukta, Sukta, the Kama Sukta, which is not Karma Sutra. Right. It Kama does Sutra, sound which similar. Is important. It's very similar. And I had to double check to make sure that they weren't like reciting sex positions yep. at the wedding. And I was like, wow, this is fair. very progressive. Um, but that's <laughs> not it. It's different. So the Kama Sutka, Sutka is a hymn to love that gets recited. And then the father asks the groom to not fail his daughter in pursuing Dharma, Artha and Kama or basically a lawful life full of wealth and love, which I thought was really pretty. Yeah. Then the groom promises the father to not fail his wife in these things and repeats that three times. So it kind of sounds like teaching where it's like, <laughs> did you hear my directions? What did right. I say? Okay, say it again. Say it one more time because I know you didn't hear me the first time. <laughs> so step two is the Panigrahana. So this comes after the Kanyadan and is more commonly known as the holding the hand ritual. So in this ceremony, the groom acknowledges his upcoming husband responsibilities to four different deities. Oh, Jesus. Why did I write all their names? I don't know. I, but you did. Pura, <laughs> Puran, Puranda, Purandi? Purandi, which signifies wisdom. Of course, that's of course. the one I can't Good. fucking say. Savita, which is radiance and new beginnings. Ariyama, which is heavens and the Milky Way. And Baga, which is wealth. Of course, all the other ones were easy. <laughs> the one that signifies intelligence. I was like, nope, I don't know. The groom then faces west and the bride sits in front of him with her face to the east. And the two hold hands while the Rig Vedic mantra is recited, which is basically like similar to a prayer of like commitment. Okay. And then the last step we have is the Saptapati, which means the seven steps or the seven feet in Sanskrit. And this is the most important ritual of the Vedic Hindu weddings, and it represents the legal aspect of the marriage ceremony. So basically what happens is a couple participate in circling around the holy fire seven times. And in some regions, they actually have a piece of clothing or sash that the bride and groom wear tied together as they walk, which I think is really cool. And then each circuit is led by either the bride or the groom, depending on the community and the region. So usually the bride leads the groom in the first go around and as they go through each circuit the couple makes a specific vow to one another about creating a happy relationship and life for each other so basically like with each step they take they you know promise in this round loyalty and That's cool. um, compassion or whatever I like that and then I know I thought it was really cool too and then with completion of the seventh circuit the two become a fully married couple and the wedding ceremony is over and then the reception begins and pretty much all I could see about the reception is that they're bonkers <laughs> they're crazy loud a shit ton of partying and dancing and like i actually don't think there's any drinking that was the one thing i saw okay. that i couldn't find if there was drinking at like a traditional hindu wedding i don't think it's actually like allowed yeah. but the guests also are encouraged to not bring gifts and instead bring cash and then they yep. shower the couple with money in order to wish them a wealthy and prosperous life and i thought that was so cool yeah um and and that's uh that's an indian hindu wedding okay yeah cool Let's see where are we going next africa which again africa is not actually like a place or a culture yes. that everything is the same in so sometimes i will call out like certain things sometimes it's a little bit more generalized i am doing my best to talk about a continent as if it's one thing or a country if you're my student and i swear to god no. if i see you write africa the country in a paper i'm going to burn it africa is not a country no no it's I actually literally wrote it's a bunch of countries. It literally is 52 countries. And one I did point. have a fun story with a kid actually. Do she it. once literally said there was this kid who <laughs> 
there was this kid who was from South Africa and he was he was white. Mm-hmm. And and I shit you not, never having seen this movie before. Oh my she, god, no, not the mean girls. This kid, yes. This kid walks in, he's got a really weird accent, and I was like, Okay, you're either you're either Australian or South African. And he's like, Yeah, I'm South African. I was like, Okay, cool. So he left and he was like this like super handsome kid that like all the kids were like in love with. And it was really funny because I was like, You guys are just a bunch of dorks. And she's like, Wait, he's from Africa? And I was like, Yeah. And she literally oh, no, goes, no, 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 no. If he's from Africa, why is he white? And I was like, Oh my God. I had to just pause for a second because I was like, I can't believe this actually happened to me. Right. Like, oh my God. Like I had to just process yeah. it for a second. And all the kids were like, Yeah, why is he white? And I was like, Okay. Well, um, so, and then I had to hold, like, explain the whole, like, colonialism South Africa yeah. thing. But there are white people in Africa. I- I like got to hear yeah. a kid literally say, if he's from Africa, why is he white? You should have so, just said, okay. God, Karen, you're so stupid. I know. I really wanted to. I really wanted to be like, oh my God. But I was like, you know what? I was like, you're two. I was like, I don't want to push it. I don't even think the girl ever realized it. But mm, oh, you know. poor thing. Poor thing. Okay. Sorry. That's my Africa anecdote. I'm no, out. you're good. So at her, <laughs> um, Africa has 52 countries and 1.2 billion people. So obviously there's like a lot of diversity within that. Mm-hmm. Um, from a religious perspective, about 40% of Africans are Christian and about 45% are Muslim. So a lot Colonialism. of, yeah, a lot of like weddings and how they're done there go down those lines and depend on if you're yeah. a Christian African or a Muslim African. And then most places what you'll see is a combination of the religious traditions of those combined with local customs. So whether it's like a local, just the region you're in, or it's a tribe that your family is part of or something like that, it's usually kind of like a mismatch, a mismatch of, not mismatch, mix up of those. Yes. Um, Types of things. But one thing that was common was this idea that there was like a ceremony for the introduction of the bride and the groom. And so historically, this obviously comes from like when arranged marriages are happening, which do still happen in a lot of especially rural parts of Africa. Arranged marriages are still common from what I was reading. Um, But now if you're in a case where, you know, you meet someone and decide to get married for love, they'll still have a kind of ceremonial version of this. Um, And it has different names. So the Yoruba call it the Momi Imoi. And it means know me and let me know you. Oh, I love that. Right? And then like the Igbo call it something that translates to knock on the door. So it has these different names for kind of like this initial meeting. And usually the family is involved. And so they'll be there and they will dress in bright coordinated colors. So like the bride's family will say we're all going to wear red. And the groom's family will say we're all going to wear this. So they like have kind of a family color that they bring to this. I Um, love that. Yeah. So in some cases, this is considered similar to like the engagement. Mm -hmm. Um, Or like an engagement party. Yeah. In some cases, engagement is sort of separate from this. Um, so it can be both, but either way, it's sort of like the first step in initiating a wedding Mm -hmm. is the ceremony. And so this is a lot of times where like the traditional local customs will happen while the ceremony itself is more traditionally Christian or Muslim. Okay. Um, this is where a lot of things differ based on like the locality. Initially, I just saw a nice, like, this may include the bride's parents giving gifts to the groom. Okay. And then it was like, no, that's, um, bride wealth. 
And a weird thing I learned and went on like a little side thing about, because I was like, oh, a bride wealth, that must be a dowry, right? Right. That's what I would assume. Because we think of as a dowry, I feel like, as the groom or his family buying the bride. Yeah. Or they, oh no, see, I think of it as the the or, yeah, bride's the, family is paying yes. the groom's family to take the bride. Yes. Like, we know she's going to be a lot of work, so here's $40 and a cow. Like Yes. But yeah. apparently, so... <laughs> There's bride wealth or bride price and there's a dowry and they're slightly different. So what we think of as dowry is more like a bride wealth. So that's when the groom or his family gives something to the bride or her family. And so it's not not the reverse like we think of, but it's sort of this exchange of like they're literally almost buying the daughter. And the idea is it like offers them stability, right? So if something happens and the husband can't work, the bride's family has money and could provide. Oh, okay. And so it's sort of like that versus a dowry, which is actually more chill, I feel like, which is the bride's family pays the groom and the bride money. And in some cultures, it goes only to the bride. And it's oh. like money or money or gifts or whatever. It's more commonly money today, but it didn't used okay. to be, to like establish their life together. Now, do you think that this is, and maybe I'm saying this wrong, is this like traditionally found in like African countries? Like, because I feel like in European countries, a dowry is like how we understand it. So yeah, like, it, it might okay. differ. Like this, like the general Wikipedia article on bride price lists mostly Africa, Asia, and Oceania. Um, so it might be slightly different, but I just realized like the definitions we were used to are clearly not exactly what they are, but there's some sort of exchange that is happening. Right. Um, and I think in more like the traditional idea is, hey, here's, here's money kind of in exchange for our children. Um, there's certain groups. So like the, excuse me, the Zulu people, bride wealth is considered to like legitimize marriage. So it's not real unless that happens. Okay. Um, oh, that's but it, similar to China, actually. Okay. But it is more commonly cash at this point. So mm-hmm. I feel like it's more just your parents being like, here's some money, you know? Yeah. Um, But that will often happen at this kind of initial meeting, getting together family ceremony. Okay. And so the rest, I sort of split into the regions of Africa, which again, not all of North Africa is the same, but it helps a little bit. So North Africans are most likely to follow Muslim traditions. So we'll talk about Middle Eastern weddings and stuff too, but they're more similar to this. So they do things like perform a ritual bath called the hammam to purify themselves, which is very common in Islamic weddings. Is that both the bride and the groom? No, that is the groom, I believe. Oh, okay. Not, not the groom, the bride, the girl one. Okay. I, I was like, read. wow, that seems progressive no, too. No, sorry, I was reading the word groom with my eyes, but I meant bride. The girl one. The, yeah, the, whichever one's a girl. Um. <laughs> also, hello, heteronormativity all episodes. I was literally but... just going to say, also, here's a quick um one hour into the episode. Right. Reminder we that this is incredibly heteronormative and we know that and we're not talking about that. It's just, yeah. we're acknowledging that. Yeah. Call Wikipedia. (laughs) File a formal complaint. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. And so as part of this, the bride and her closest friends and family will gather for a henna party as well. So that's common in in the Middle East. Um, They have something similar to that. And so North Africans who follow Muslim tradition also do something similar to that. 
Oh, okay. Um, and kind of your basic head coverings are often required for women attending the wedding. You would expect to be in like conservative and modest dress in a mosque. Um, and actually some receptions or even ceremonies are separated by gender, which is interesting. Really? So it's like some of them, if they're very strict, it was saying will be in completely separate rooms. But a lot of them will have one big room with just like a partition down the middle. But that's like, so you're not with your spouse during the reception, right? It's so like- that's what I was trying to like- yeah. Like, so basically you're not with the person that you married during the reception. Yeah, that's from what I was reading. I tried to find like more specifics on it. But from what I was right. reading, it was basically like sometimes if it's very conservative, that's what they do. Wow. Yeah. That's interesting. Yeah. So that was North African. And like I said, I'll get um I'll get into the entire like Middle East in a bit and some of that will apply. But West African weddings. So I split this into just like a couple different groups that I found information on. Okay. So the most, how do I phrase this? Like the most common subset of Africans in the U.S. is Nigerian, right? So I saw a lot about like if you're in the U.S. and you're attending a traditional African wedding, it's most likely Nigerian is a lot of what I was reading. And so I did some on the the Yoruba people of Nigeria and historically for them marriage itself was not about love right so kind of like i was saying before it was about responsibility stability and producing children which is true for like a lot of places in the world that's true for the u.s for everywhere um and then (laughs) i'm so excited to read this so the belief was that sons didn't know when they were supposed to marry right like boys are too stupid to know that which is fair Mm -hmm. but there's this old saying and it is referring to tools, but I'm still, the, the saying is, when a child is ripe for hoe, he is given a hoe. If he is ripe for cutlass, he is given cutlass. And a cutlass is a sword. Right. And so, so it's saying, like, basically, like, if he's a child and he's only ready for, like, something not a hoe, right, to go, like, do the garden or whatever, versus when he's a man and he's ready for, like, the sword to go fight. Oh. In the context of this, it is saying they sons don't know where to, when to marry. So when he's ripe for a hoe, he's given a hoe. Oh my god! So, but I also think it's funny because cutlass, and then I think of the, like lass as being exactly. like well, a word for women cutlass, too. I was like, "What's a cutlass? Let me just check." <laughs> a so, chicken cutlet? A cutlet? Exactly. <laughs> so that's like they're saying, and why they still like often are like, "Yeah, no, we're just going to tell you when it's time to get married," which and, also happens in Western. Yes, <laughs> correct. Like, let me tell you something, girls. If this is for anyone, this is for men, women, neither, both. Like, if you have to set an ultimatum for your wedding, yeah, it's not gonna work out. It's yeah. just not gonna. It's just not gonna fly. No, nope. just I'm just saying, if if you have to make an ultimatum, it ain't gonna happen. Yeah, agreed. Um, also, in some places, women still like basically attend a special school to learn how to be a wife, <sighs> which I didn't. And I was trying hard. I'm like, I'm not going to like judge cultures, but I was like, I don't like that. I know. I found myself doing this when I was looking up China too. And I was like, don't judge. Yeah. But it just irks me that there is just so much like women are inferior in marriages. And it's right. like, yeah, it's yeah. hard not to. But I mean, we do the same shit in our culture. So it's. Yeah, exactly. It's judging the concept, not the tradition. Right. Not like the execution. Mm -hmm. Correct. Right. That's Um, how I'm justifying myself. (laughs) Yeah. So one thing I really liked um, from the the Yoruba, like tradition in terms of ceremony is something called the, oh my God, I'm missing a letter. Is it the fasting of the elements? LOL. (laughs) Or is it, oh, hold on. I'm missing a letter and I literally don't know what word this is. Okay. (laughs) 
<laughs> tasting of the elements. I'm looking at exactly yeah, your shit. What's it going on? I was like, uh, I think it might be tasting, but it's, it's not my tasting. segment. So I'm yes. not <laughs> it's the tasting of the elements. And so the basically, of- <laughs> look, I, I clearly copy. I used quotation marks when I copy and pasted. I knew what I was doing. <laughs> um, But basically, during the ceremony, the bride and groom are presented with a food that is sour, a food that's hot, a food that's sweet, a food that's bitter. And they eat them together to basically show they're prepared to go through like those balance of emotions, right? So like bitter times and sour times and happy times and all that. So they eat like all these different tastes to represent that during the ceremony, which I thought was fun. Um, And then there's something called Aso Ebi. And it's a tradition in a lot of West Africa, but it has to do with the clothing. So kind of similar to you're saying with Indian weddings, African weddings tend to be much more colorful and like vibrant. And so one thing they'll do is they have a ceremonial cloth that the bridesmaids and any close friends, sisters, cousins all wear at the wedding. Um, And then the bride's mother and the groom's mother may also have like a specific cloth them and their close family wear. But it's basically a way of showing your closeness to the family. So it's almost like a visual signifier, like, hey, we're in the, the inner circle. Like, we're- I think that's cool because it's yeah. similar to like what you described with the engagement ceremony. The yeah. Engagement thing. Like right. these two families. And I like that too, because it's like, I like the idea of like blending of colors. Like, yeah, exactly. Cool. So they can kind of pick and it's just a visual signal. Huh. Um, Most everything else I found was more about marriage than the weddings. So like I read a lot about Ghana um, and kind of the history of marriage there was, sounds great. It's uh, <laughs> to me, it's like yeah. the once they're married, the woman remains living with her parents like and they base her and the husband are basically co-parents right like they have kids but they don't live together and that allowed him to have multiple wives who were all like taken care of by their family um and it again goes back to the idea that it was about like stability and reproducing and not that's pretty cool actually yeah um so that's west africa then we've got east africa and so east africa a lot of it's similar to north africa most of it overlapped a lot in terms of um there's a large muslim population the traditions are similar but Mm -hmm. one of the the things that was different is that in that region another really popular religion is ethiopian orthodox and so it's kind of similar to if you have a greek or Greek Orthodox or Romanian Orthodox or those different spinoffs is not the word um, branches in the U.S. Nominations, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like so, they'll have spin-offs. weddings, spinoffs, spinoff series, the spinoffs of Catholic. They're Catholic spinoffs. <laughs> That's literally what it is, though. So you're not yeah. even wrong. Um, but so they're kind of similar to that. They're just Ethiopian Orthodox, so they may look more like a Catholic wedding, um, where they're in a church and they feature like the Holy Trinity symbolism and the kind of longer mass version of a catholic wedding you'll see a lot in eastern africa where ethiopian orthodox is common wow this this actually i just did a quick research on this because i was curious this uh, apparently this denomination has been around since before oh shit it basically well it's been around since before Christ, um, christianity colonialism in africa but huh. also it looks like it was around in like the middle ages so i think it's probably pretty close to like um the crusades yeah that makes sense oh cool that's sick and there's also a church an ethiopian orthodox church in pennsylvania near me huh that's cool because when i googled it it was like here's the closest one and i was like oh and then the next search one was jesus in ethiopia (laughs) so (laughs) good sick good 
Um, so the last one is Central and Southern Africa. And so okay. this region, Zulus are like a really large and important group. Um, yeah. And so the traditional Zulu wedding is called an umabo. Um, but at this point in that region, most people do one traditional ceremony. So like one umabo and then one what they call a white wedding, which is the westernized okay. ceremony. So they might have okay. both. But in the past, the umabo would take place at the groom's family's home. Um, hmm. That's not always true anymore, but that's traditionally where it happened. And then the Zulu bride would wear a cowskin skirt that is like oh. symbolic of a married woman and a special headdress as a sign of being married. So there was, again, like clothing that symbolized you're married now. That's cool as fuck. Yeah. And the ceremony would actually begin with the groom's father welcoming the bride and then oh. the bride's father giving away his daughter so it's still okay. the like, giving away thing but there was also a reverse i like that yeah and then the family it's so weird there's so many you're gonna see this when i talk about it in a little while but there's a lot of weird parallels between this and chinese wedding tradition yeah there are i found a lot of things between like this and the middle east too like even when it's yeah. not i feel like a lot of stuff ends up the same yeah and then at this, at the Umabo, the family and guests sit on like these special grass mats and the bride's sisters and bridesmaids present her with gifts uh, or present the in-laws with gifts. So it's mm, like the okay. families are exchanging gifts again. That's cool. Just a little like kind of urban African trends that like more and more African couples are bypassing the legal marriage status. Huh. Um, and having what they call like irregular unions as a symbol of love. Um, okay. And there's different theories on why. Some people think it's just if you're living in poverty, if you're not economically stable, they don't have the money to fund a traditional wedding and pay dowry or a bride wealth, which in some cases is what legitimizes a wedding. So if you can't do that, you aren't officially married. Okay. I was so just going to say, because that's like a legal... Right. It's like the same as like paying for a marriage license, basically. Yeah. And so it's like okay. they may have their own kind of simple ceremonies because of economic conditions. Um, but it's almost like common law marriage or something like that, right? They're bypassing that's, the official yeah. step, but they're getting married in some way. That's like the vibe I got. That yeah. Was like common law. Mm -hmm. And then there's also an uptick in people having to move away from the more like rural communities that they're part of for employment. And it makes it hard to participate in like the more tribal or like community centric ceremonies. So stuff that you would right. normally do in your home village, you can't do when you move to a city to work. And they don't necessarily have the ability or the funds to travel home and have that wedding there. So the sentence I saw that I thought was interesting is like the significance of marriage forming the foundation of a community is made obsolete if the couple were no longer a part of the community. So basically, like oh. if you moved away, it's not even really considered necessary to do all the, the traditional community stuff because you're not forming that community anymore. Right, right. Um, huh, that's so interesting. Yeah. So I just read a bit about like shifts in modern times that they were kind of moving away from that. And then generally there's kind of more progressive views and shifts away from some of the traditional what are seen as the more like regressive elements um especially in city centers and things like that hmm. so that's a very high level africa um again there's 52 <laughs> countries i'm trying my yeah. best yeah. <laughs> um, i mean that could be its own podcast yeah exactly once again <laughs> once again we found another topic where it could just be its own podcast exactly um so next i'm going to talk about middle eastern weddings um, and so this is Arab weddings is kind of the like term I kept seeing. And this is one where I'm a dumb white girl and I'm like trying very hard. I'm like, there's Middle Eastern and Arab and Muslim and Islamic and they're all different things. And I'm like, please right. use the right words. But if I don't, you can tell me I probably won't at some point. 
But similar to what we saw in Africa, the marriage process usually starts with some sort of meeting between the families and ends with the wedding's consummation. Cool, cool. Yay, we're back but to that. <laughs> so, like, there's an official wedding wedding, but it's actually kind of this long process and set of steps and ceremonies that happen. Okay. Um, And so I found... So, like, it doesn't take place on, like, a day? Yeah. And so what I found okay. is there's, like, a series of steps. And so it's a marriage proposal and an engagement, which are different. So this is okay. a marriage proposal is kind of you're like, hey, I'm asking for your hand. And an engagement is like the official, like deciding Like that. we're engaged. Right. Okay. Like it's a proposal, like an official proposal. Like I'm submitting a proposal to have your daughter's hand in marriage. Right. <laughs> Versus like we, <laughs> we are engaged. Yeah. <laughs> right. Um, there's a henna ceremony. There's a nika, which is the um, ceremony itself. Registration, reception, walima, which is kind of a second reception and the, the bigger one. And then a honeymoon. And the okay. only requirement for something to be an Islamic wedding is to hold the nika and the balima. So the ceremony and the like big reception. Everything else are cultural additions um, or legal requirements and can kind of be moved around as you choose. Um, okay. I also read that for a wedding to be considered Islamic, the bride and the groom must, must both consent and the groom has to be welcomed into the bride's home in the presence of her parents. So they both have to agree and her parents basically have to agree. So I was like, well, you got a point for consent. And then I don't know the second part, but sure. Right. <laughs> um, and so that's kind of what makes like an Islamic wedding. Um, again, arranged marriages are pretty common still. Um, and again, most things said very common. That pretty much just means relative to the U.S., Right. right. They're not like the majority of marriages are not arranged marriages, but compared to what we're used to in like the US or Europe or something like that, it's a very large number. Okay. Um, and also it's in Christian areas too. So it's not just like a Muslim tradition in the Middle East. Arranged marriages are more common regardless. It's like cultural, of not like religious. Yeah. Okay. Um, but they have this similar first meeting to the the thing I talked about with African tradition is there's like a meeting between the bride and the groom and their respective mothers where they get to know each other. So it could be a public place or it's the bride's house. They don't go to the groom's house um, and they'll kind of sit separately, but within sight of each other to get to know each other. Right. So they like okay. have this yeah. kind of formal meeting. Huh. And then there's what's called the tulba, which is the formal request of hand. So this is the proposal. Um, it of typically hand? the request of hand, like your hand in marriage. Oh God, I thought you said ham, and uh, I was like, um, that's, no. Wait, that's... I thought that was like not. Yeah, no, something hand. that people can. No, your hand in marriage. Oh my God, here's it's... my ham in marriage, and that's my dowry. It's a ham. That's it what I request. <laughs> Boar's head. <laughs> Yes. But so this has traditionally been like the more formal request, right? Like, I would like to marry your daughter. Does everyone agree to that? It's become more intimate now. So it can be like just the family or just, you know, usually the family's involved, but it can be small. Um, And it usually happens after it's already been somewhat agreed upon, right? Okay. So everyone kind of knows it's coming. Um, And then they have the engagement, which almost is like an engagement party is what it feels, feels like. But there they often exchange rings. So that's kind of like a formalizing of it, right? So we've agreed to get married. Now it's now it's an actual engagement and we've exchanged rings. Right. So then there's an event called the Radwa. And it usually happens a few days before the wedding. And so close male relatives on both sides of the family, so her side, his side, will gather and 
basically the men on the groom side make sure that the bride side is is happy with the entire thing right like you're good oh, with our okay. our boy with like the party itself all the people here um and they basically resolve any last minute issues it's like a quick little rumble between all the men um like they just make sure all the air is clear and then the eldest yeah. man on the side of the groom goes around and congratulates all the other men so he has okay. this like special this role could be, like the groom's father or something yeah whoever it could be like okay. the father the grandfather, the grandfather yeah. an oldest uncle whoever the oldest okay. man is like basically seals it right like we resolved all our things everything's satisfied now we congratulate everyone and we can move on because we're moving forward okay yeah cool and so then there's also a, a henna night so kind of like you talked about with indian weddings where the woman and her bridal party and her close family get together and have their henna done um okay it used to be more of a traditional like we're preparing now it's often treated kind of like a bachelorette party Okay. Um, so That's they get, cool. yeah, they get their henna done and like all the stuff you're supposed to do, but it's also your bachelorette party, right? All the girls are getting together, all that fun stuff. Oh, that's fun. Yeah. And then there'll be the, the Nika. So the official ceremony, um, the official ceremony also includes the completion of contracts by definition. So like okay. the legal part, as well as any religious part. Um, a lot of weddings include what they call the Zafa, which is like a procession that loudly announces the couple. Um, oh, that's cool. Yeah. Like so it's those people that's like, hear ye, hear ye. Like, yeah. It's like, like a village crier. <laughs> yeah. It's like a wedding march was a, a translation I saw. So there's be people like playing different music. It's almost like a mini parade. Um, oh, I love that. Right, where, cool. So instead of leaving in your little car that says just married or whatever. Right. You leave in this procession. Um, cool. And then basically they exchange rings during the ceremony and then everyone starts dancing and like having a party. Like you said earlier about India, the reception is basically what we're used to. There's a cake, right. there's music. They last really long into the night. Everyone's having a good time. And then this is what's known as the, the Walima. So the other necessary part. And basically it's a symbol to show domestic happiness, right? So it's considered like an omen. You have a good time at this party and you're going to have a good time being married. Oh, I like that. See, yeah. I think that that's cool because it, it, I mean, it still makes it kind of like a lot of pressure for people to have a good time at your wedding. But it's also like you want your, like, the start of your marriage to be a celebration of love. Like, you want it to right. actually be like a good time that people are happy about. Yeah. And what I saw, too, is that the word Walima, so it basically means, like, to gather or to assemble. And so traditionally people think of it as a marriage reception but it can also be a birthday party or like a baby shower or like you bought a new house so it's like to celebrate something in the couple's life okay um other things so can be have a like a wedding walima or like a baby shower walima. Yeah. Like they're all it's just like a name for like a celebratory almost familial party exactly and so like what was i gonna say and then I saw that usually it takes place at, like, the groom and bride's house, right? So that's, okay. like, it will be there to celebrate their life together. That's cool. Yeah. Um, and so that's sort of how they end, depending on different elements of the religion, right? Some people have additions to the ceremony. Mm -hmm. um, but there's a pretty traditional Muslim ceremony that they'll go through. And then they'll have, have their nice big party. And, yeah, that's... That's the general Middle East. Again, that's not all of the Middle East. Please let me be. 
Um, <laughs> we are just two people. I'm trying my best here. Free on our free um, time. Yeah. And then the other, so there's Arab Christians um, who live in a number of regions, mainly belong to Catholic or Orthodox groups. So they would have weddings similar to a Catholic wedding or those Orthodox right. weddings um, with some of the, the cultural elements of the Middle East tied in. But the ceremony itself would be pretty traditionally Catholic as we know it. I think that's really cool. I think I like the most, and like I'll talk about this now with moving into China, but I do like the incorporation of family. Like I think that if there's one thing that Western weddings don't really do, and it makes sense because our just general understanding of of culture and society is like not like what is the word I'm looking for? It's not like not collaborative. It's not like a community. If that makes any sense, yeah, we're not like individualistic individual that's exactly the word but I'm, for, yeah, exactly. I'm like torn because i like that as a general like collectivism but then i'm also yeah. like okay but my wedding doesn't have anything to do with you go away <laughs> right exactly so it's like a weird and i feel the same way because there are certain things that i'm like oh well it's my wedding and this is how i'm going to do it but then there's part of me that's like well i also do recognize that a lot of people worked really hard to like right. raise me to raise my husband to like whatever and so i think their work I like, should be acknowledged i think i capacity. like the idea that it's like the joining of families and everyone participates i think my like issue becomes when the parents think they're in charge of it yes, which agreed. happens 100%. in a lot of places and yeah. here right like yeah. it's not just elsewhere it's just like your mom's like you can't wear that dress or like you have to have this or whatever and i think that's when i'm like no yes absolutely no i totally agree with that um so last but not least we will talk about chinese weddings so the roots of a chinese wedding ceremony stem from china's 5000 year old history so there is a lot to unpack um so i'm going to try to basically break it down into some like general old stuff and then i'm going to kind of break it into like a little bit more specific like traditions and how the steps work okay so On the wedding day, brides would wear a red dress and a red veil, and that would symbolize happiness, prosperity, and good luck. And like you said, most marriages were arranged at the time, and so the first time the bride and groom would actually see each other would be on the wedding day, typically after the ceremony. And so the groom would pick up his bride from her house, and then would like she'd go with him to his family's house, and then the wedding would take place there. And so after the wedding ceremony, she would sit. This was so... Again, I was trying not to judge, but I was like, this just seems really fucked up. (laughs) So she would sit in what would be her new bedroom. So their like new wedding bed. And then friends and relatives would come in to the house to congratulate the groom and his family to celebrate their union. And I couldn't figure out if the bride was also being congratulated or if she was told to go sit in a room. Right. And then the groom was being like showered with gifts and congrats. So yeah, either way, I was like, meh. But if it was the other way where like the bride just sat alone in her new bed like room, like right. I feel like that's just that's weird. Yeah, it was a lot. Uh, and so then they would begin their married life together once all of the guests left, aka they'd consummate their marriage, but we're not gonna get into that. So then a lot of the marriage customs that kind of developed over time were created during the Han Dynasty, which took place between 206 BC and 220 AD. So it lasted for 
a good almost 400 years. And one of these traditions, which is still pretty big, was the betrothal gifts. So there was an exchange of gifts from the groom's family to the bride's family and vice versa. So basically the bride's family would then bestow a dowry from their family. And the betrothal gift stage was so important that it was considered dishonorable to start a marriage without it. And once that exchange was complete, this was when the bride was then taken to her husband's home and the wedding ceremony commenced. So it didn't necessarily happen all in one day, but typically this was kind of very similar to what you said, which is like this was the official beginning of like the wedding right procession well not procession because that sounds like it's part of the wedding process process yes exactly uh so something i thought was really interesting was let's say a wife uh a wife's husband died so basically let me start by saying this so brides were taken to her husband's home and they were expected to live there for the rest of their lives so if a husband died and her family wanted to get her remarried let's say she was young enough that it was like redistribution of the widows literally literally they actually would have to pay money to the deceased husband's family and i thought this was really bummy like a bummer but like any children that the wife had had with the first husband would have to be left with the paternal grandparents ew yeah like they basically had to like give up their child or children yeah uh so polygamy was also allowed until the end of the Qing dynasty which lasted from 1644 to 1912 and this was really just to father as many heirs as possible right this was definitely before we had the one child uh, rule in china and so before the wedding even took place there was this ancient tradition of matchmaking which we're going to get into in a second and basically this was also considered an essential part of marriage so elders and professional matchmakers would look at all of the pros and cons of potential proposals including the couple's social standing finances and reputation and they would make a decision as to whether or not this marriage should go through so from what i understand is a groom would a groom's family because the groom had usually nothing to do with this a groom's family would go to a matchmaker and say this is who we want our son to marry and then the matchmaker would be like all right so the matchmaker would then go to the bride's family and say hey so-and-so wants to marry you do you agree to those terms and if the bride's family said yes then the matchmaker got to work with basically saying like okay let's look at the compatibility they looked at like the chinese zodiac to see how successful the match would actually prove to be and so the matchmakers play like a huge role in the steps of this which i thought was really really unique uh there's also a cultural belief which still exists today called the chinese marriage market okay so I had no idea if this was real and I was like reading one of the like bridal websites. So I was like, this could go one way or the other. But then I looked it up and did more research and it's actually a, like a legit thing. So a Chinese marriage market, the primary goal basically is for parents to find a suitable match for their child, which might be based on age, height, job income, whatever, education, family values, zodiac sign, personality. So basically what happens is the parents of these, like, no, I don't want to say children, but these parents go to this like open air market on like Sundays, right? Okay. It's, it happens every week. They write out the information about their child on a piece of paper and they hang it on strings along with other advertisements from other parents. And then parents walk around, read the advertisements, and then chat with like the parents who posted it to see if their like children are compatible. Okay. It's like a Tinder so farmer market. It literally the fact that you just said that so it was the next bullet i have was it has been described as being quote match.com meets farmer's market yes quote exactly with a lower success rate yeah 
And actually, I, I read that most children don't give their parents permission to attend these markets, but they do anyway. That sounds right. Yeah. So I thought that was really, I mean, funny, but also kind of a bummer. I was like, right. Um, so then there's also like this whole process of becoming betrothed and like the officialness of it. So basically, once the matchmaking's over and the couples are ready to become engaged, the proposal's finalized through a formal letter of betrothal. Um, there's three letters that get sent throughout this process. So the first one, like I said, is letter of betrothal. This letter basically outlines the couple's intentions to marry and to set their vows. Then comes the gift letter, which documents the details of the gifts that will be expected and exchanged from each of the families. Hell yeah. And the last letter, right? It's like, here is an itemized list of all the shit you're getting and that you are going to get us. (laughs) Uh, And then finally, the last letter is the wedding letter and it formally welcomes the bride into the groom's family. So there's also reference of these like six etiquettes in traditional Chinese weddings, which you basically have to, and I don't want to say obey, but you, you should be following these etiquettes as being like traditional and just like polite. Okay. Uh, so the first is proposing. So this is what I was saying before. The parents of a young man would find a woman they would like as their future daughter-in-law. They then go find a matchmaker and propose this to the matchmaker. This is one and of those then, things where like the episode has made me think about the word proposal. Like we just use yeah. it and never thought about it. But I'm like, oh, it's it's a proposal. You're proposing marriage. Like yeah. that seems yeah. very simple, but you, I never think about the word that way. But it's yeah. like, oh, it's hey, like, what I if we got married? that. Yes, exactly. It's like, what if we did this thing together and we did what, you know, it's yeah. it's true. And I think it makes more sense when you look at it in the context of like what the Chinese do in this case. Right. Well, that and then even like the word engagement too. like you make the proposal and then you are engaged in like an agreement. In the proposal. Yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah exactly. Exactly. Um, and then what's really cool is the if the women's parents agree to the marriage, Basically, they present the matchmaker with their daughter's birthday and her birth hour. And the matchmaker has to literally, like, look at the time and the zodiac and, like, all of these astrological things in order to make sure that the bride and groom are fully compatible. If it's not, Um, do they just, like, call it off? I believe so. Yeah, that's pretty much what I saw. Or they would advise against it. I don't know if they could necessarily be like, this can't happen, but they'd be like, this would be stupid if you let this happen. Yeah. Um, Then we have the presentation of the betrothal gifts, and then we have the presentation of wedding gifts, which is when the groom's family sends wedding gifts to the bride's family, which could include tea, lotus seeds, red dates, red and green beans, nutmeg, oranges, bridal cakes, coconuts, wine, a money box, and a red hair braid, which is uh, awesome. There was just so much cool shit on that list. I got to read that. And then the last step, the last etiquette of the six is picking a wedding date and again this is when an astrologist or a book of astrology is consulted and it basically references the best date for the wedding ceremony so it's okay. not like it's got to take place on a saturday night it's literally like it has to take place on january 23rd of this year because of the way that their zodiac signs yeah mingle. the other big thing i saw which a lot of people have heard and i really didn't know anything about it is the wedding tea ceremony and it's the most significant part of a chinese wedding because tea is important in Chinese culture and is part of a bride's dowry traditionally. So the origins of the tea ceremony go back as far as the Tang Dynasty from 618 to 907. And according to the Chinese writer Ying Lang, who was known for documenting any current affairs and social affairs of like the 1400s, he wrote that, quote, the tea plant cannot be transplanted. And after transplantation, it shall not live. When a woman marries and brings tea as part of her dowry, we see she is loyal to one, quote. So basically that's just saying that, like, 
once you have committed yourself as a woman to this man and his family, right. you you can't be transplanted like a tea plant. Like you're basically yeah. you have to be committed. Um, which again is the little you know. But sure. we had the same shit in Western culture, so right. it's not like it's not any different. So today the ceremony is a symbol of the families welcoming their children's new spouse into the family. So drinking the tea actually symbolizes the parents recognizing and accepting the bride and groom as part of their new family. It's also an expression of gratitude from the couple um, on behalf of them. And basically it's, it's typically held on the day of the wedding at the couple's respective homes. But sometimes couples choose to have the ceremony for both the families before the wedding dinner. And in the ceremony, the couple's required to serve the tea to the elders in a sequential fashion. So I think okay. it's from oldest to youngest. So it goes like their grandparents, their parents, like right. in-laws, any family members that are there that the, the couple presents them with the tea. Another interesting tradition I saw, which really just hit home for me, was called (laughs) the crying in advance (laughs) tradition. And again, I'm going to just do a quick overview. I'm not making fun of this tradition in any way. I I think it sounds phenomenal. And I think we should adopt something similar. So basically, the crying in advance tradition is when a month before the wedding, the bride cries on purpose for an hour each day and continues this for a week so i just want to put a quick thought in here and say yes girl yep you cry you cry as much as you need to cry you cry in that hour past that hour i personally think that we should be opening up society to have one hour of designated crying Mm -hmm. per day because i think we'd be a lot more well adjusted that's fair i like the phrase crying on purpose it resonates with me as a pisces (laughs) me too you know how sometimes you're like i'm gonna put on this sad song that i know makes me really sad and just cry for a while Yes, Eric literally watches me sometimes because I put on sad dog videos and then I mm-hmm. just cry. And he's like, can I just ask you why you're doing this? And I literally look at him every time and I'm like, because I need to feel something. Like, yes. I so I have, I tend to it. cry more at like happy things. So sometimes, and I, I know this is like hashtag problematic now, but sometimes I will watch videos of Ellen giving stuff away on her show to people. Yeah. Yep. I will just like watch those on loop and just cry at like it being nice that these people got things and they're crying. <laughs> yeah. I literally do. I do that sometimes with um, military family members coming home. Yeah. Or specifically dogs finding their like seeing mm-hmm. their military family come home. <laughs> yeah. Like I don't really give a shit about like this the kids or the siblings. It's like yeah. when the dog starts like Fair. losing their shit. I'm like an absolute disaster. <laughs> or I'll see like, you know, a dog that was like abused and on the brink of death and then it like worked its way back into health and now it's got like the perfect family and yeah. it's like a peanut or something. Uh-huh, you know? uh-huh. Like I just I just need to feel sometimes. Yep. So this is very similar. Um, so in that week, the bride cries alone for an hour. And then after that week, her mother joins in. And then two weeks later, your grandmother and every other woman in the family joins in. And they all cry together until the big day. Not like consistently. <laughs> it's not like the right, wedding's right. in a week and we're just going to cry for the next seven days. Right. It's like they designate a time to cry together. Yeah. Um, so this actually, despite what it sounds like, signifies extreme joy about the upcoming wedding. And then in some places on the wedding day, the bride is expected to sing what's called a crying marriage song. Okay. And I couldn't figure out if this, like, what my next part means. So if she couldn't do it, she's judged harshly by the community. But I didn't know if that meant if she couldn't sing the song beautifully without crying. Right. Or if she couldn't get through the song without crying. Yeah. Does that make sense? Like, are you supposed to cry or are you not supposed to cry? I don't really know. See, and I was like, 
does it just mean if she can't sing? What if she sings I mean, I, bad? I get, yeah, it could it could be it could be that, and then everyone's crying. Like I don't really know like what that meant. I couldn't yeah. figure out if she was supposed to sound good or not. But and then we had something interesting called the joining of hair, which I couldn't find a lot on, but I saw some stuff about like a hair brushing ceremony where like the bride's mother brushes her hair the night before her wedding or the day of her wedding. Okay. Um, but in the joining of hair, the bride and groom both cut off a lock of their hair, and then that is tied into a knot and put into a bag. And that happens toward the end of the ceremony, and then you just have a knotted piece of hair. Okay. Which is interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, for some reason, nothing freaks me out more than cut pieces of people's hair. I, I don't actually know why. I, I don't have a reason. Yeah, I don't have an answer. But it freaks me out. Okay. <laughs> just doesn't sit well with me. I don't know why. <laughs> it's like... And I like shed like a fucking dog, but like yeah. for some reason, other people's hair—it just—I don't know—and teeth. But that's a whole other thing. Teeth okay, scare so. me too. Just teeth scare me in my mouth. Like I like yeah. teeth being out also scares I'm me. Horrified by the idea of teething of as a baby. Teeth. Yes. Like I feel yeah. like we don't acknowledge how weird that is. We're just like, oh yeah, her teeth are growing in. What do you mean her teeth are growing in? Yeah. Like, through it's the funny go- with. With dogs, like they just swallow their teeth. Yeah. When my vet told me that, I was like, oh, "Are they yes. going to be okay?" She's right? like, "Yeah, you won't even know that they lost a tooth." And I'm like, "That's even worse." Right? And then new teeth grow in. Like you've seen, I'm sure that like skull with all the teeth in it, like the baby teeth. Yep. And the, no, I hate it. Hate it. Yeah. yeah, terrifying. Okay, so um, there's a couple Chinese taboos and customs. So some of these are fucked up, and I'm just gonna say them. Okay. So the first one starts off, and it says. I don't even know why I'm reading this one. (laughs) Supposedly, a virgin boy was supposed to sleep with the groom on the marriage bed before the wedding to bring good luck to the couple. What is your question? Can you define sleep with? I can't. And that's why I wrote, holy shit, no. Okay. Because I didn't know if it meant sleep next to. Right. Or sleep with in a different connotation. Correct. So that's literally why I wrote holy shit no, because I think they're both weird. They're both weird, one but one is, is much Definitely worse. more problematic. For sure, For yes. sure. But I was still like, what? All weddings need to unvo- avoid the unlucky number four. Okay. People born in the year of the tiger are not suitable to attend the wedding ceremony. Oh. <laughs> so, shit, you're shit out of luck if you're- For that whole year. year. I'm a ram, so I'm good. I can I'm go to a all monkey. wedding ceremonies. Oh, yeah, you're fine. Uh, The louder the bride cried on her wedding day, the better. Again, what the fuck? Mm -hmm. I don't know if that's... uh, Again, I don't know. Like, listen, don't get me wrong. I cried like a fucking baby. But it wasn't because I was, like, afraid for my life and well-being and to be, like, quote-unquote, like, sold to Eric. Maybe it means happy cry? I'm hoping. I'm hoping that's what it means. Um, Guests were not allowed to sit on or touch the wedding bed. Except the virgin boy. Except the virgin boy, but technically okay. they he wasn't a guest of the wedding. Oh, he Wait, wasn't even invited uh, to the wedding after all that. No, but right after all of that. Oh, Jesus. Uh, the bride's mirror should not be lent to others. Okay. And the bride was not supposed to attend any funeral ceremony four months prior to her wedding. So. Okay. I thought that was interesting. So if no one so could die least, for four months real quick. No one could die for four months because it would be a major inconvenience for the bride. Right. Mm-hmm. Which is fair. Fair, but Even probably now. not for that reason. Correct. <laughs> 
So modern practices, a lot of what I saw today also says that there's a, a mixture of Western and Chinese tradition blended in mm-hmm. um, weddings today. So the groom actually will decorate the wedding car and then pick up the bride from her parents' house and bring her to his family's house so that everyone can welcome the bride into the family. And then in some cases, the bride actually will wear a Western white wedding gown to this part and to the ceremony itself. And then they change into a red gown. A, I think it's like right before the reception. So okay. I thought that was kind of interesting. So after some time and rest and relaxation, I guess if you can really be relaxing at your future in-laws home right. before your wedding, um, they the groom and bride travel together to the reception hall and they stand at the door and they receive guests together. And the guests usually bring a cash gift in a small red envelope, which I'm sure you've seen before. Yeah. Um, they sell them at like, I mean, they sell them at like dollar stores around like Chinese New Year, which is where I typically see them. Mm-hmm. But it's like considered tacky and kind of like bad luck to bring anything but cash to a wedding for um chinese ceremony. i can be down with that i mean me too like cash is king <laughs> right so, um after guests arrive the ceremony begins and during the ceremony the couple exchanges wedding rings and they drink some wine or champagne while they cross their arms with one another so when i first read this i thought they had to drink with their arms crossed like across their chests oh yeah and then but i quickly they're, like, realized linking. they were intertwining yes yes, yes that was Yep. Throughout dinner, the couple circulates amongst the guests. So like I said, this is actually when the the bride changes into her red dress. Um, And so the couple is responsible for thanking the guests, toasting those who drink, literally lighting the cigarettes of people who smoke at the party, which I thought was like really interesting. Um, And at the end of the reception, the groom's family gives each guest two small boxes with candies or chocolates, and that's called happy candy. And I fucking love that. Yeah. I don't know any sad candy except for like raisinettes, which if you gave me something and told me it was happy candy, I would assume it was like an edible. That's fair. I would probably be like, oh, so it's drugs. But, right. you know, yeah. Like, what's sad candy? I think, like I said, sad candy's like raisinettes. Like, I like raisinettes. Nah, man. Uh, what's Cherry that other flavor. old people candy? What's that other old people candy? Werther's? Candy? No, it's not that bad. Oh, those ones. Werther's are great. Calm down. But um, Werther- <laughs> those ones that are like strawberry, but they have weird jelly in the middle. No, he's not that bad. I have to ask him. Hold on. I'm going to. I'm going. I'm going rogue for a second. <laughs> Oh, yeah. And the good and plenty, right? Oh, I know. It's something. Almond Joy. Almond Joy. Oh, yeah. That is sad candy. <laughs> um, they all know I enjoy I'm flavored Tootsie Rolls. <laughs> I enjoy flavored Tootsie Rolls. Did you hear him say that? I heard you say it. Okay. I can well, hear yeah, your responses. Uh, oh, Jesus. <laughs> I'm keeping that all in. Yep. Don't need to hear this. Um, yeah, he likes the ones that are like pink and blue and i prefer the vanilla and what i like to do is you get a vanilla one and you get a regular chocolate tootsie roll and you twist them together <laughs> See, that's creative he doesn't do that he just eats these like like neon colored tootsie rolls yeah and i like oh, i don't really like it i'm sorry um that's okay so that's his happy candy <laughs> i like sour patch kids and reese's so and then <laughs> the last bullet i have i promise everyone we're almost done fine. Um, after the dinner and reception i thought this was really cool and then also weird okay not weird i'm judging it was interesting some guests will return to the wedding couple's new room 
which is basically typically in like the same hotel. And the room will have been decorated and reserved before the wedding by the bride and groom together. And the bride and the groom and the guests like hang out in there okay. and play games and keep like partying. But it's just like a smaller group of people. Okay. And then that's it. Then they're married. It's like a little after party. That's kind of the vibe I got. Yeah. I like that. Like low key. Yeah. Like let's play Cards Against Humanity or right. Nintendo. Yeah. Why not? Yeah. And that's what I got. That I was like a lot, it. man. We went, yeah. we went around the world. We did. We I learned think... a lot of stuff. Yeah. I'm continuing to learn things about you and the Duggars. <laughs> and, the D- and the Duggars, yes. I'm so impressed that you not only could recite all of the Duggars, but that you took me up on that. You're like, yeah, I can do that. And then I, you just like. It's like my it. party trick is I know. I yeah. I used to know all the grandkids, but there's so many now that it's harder. Yeah. Um, Are they all J also or no? No. So the only one who did that. So let's just. Uh, you can cut this out. I don't even care. But so the <laughs> reason they're all J's annoys me because what happened was they named their first son Josh. Fine. Mm-hmm. Then they had twins and they wanted to name one of them either John or Jana. I don't know which one. And right. they were like, well, if we only ever have three kids, we don't want one to not have a J name, right? Yeah. One to be left out. So they even both a J name. And they continued to do that. If this is our last kid, if this is our last kid, which holds up for me until they had another set of twins. Yeah. Because then you had another set of twins. You could have had two with a different letter. But do you know what those twins names are? Jedediah Robert and Jeremiah Robert. Robert, they have the same middle name? They have the same middle name. And so the only one who has done a letter, and I'll give it to him. So the dad's name is Jim Bob, right? So he That's a whole other episode, yeah. dude. I so, could talk about that for a podcast. Right. So his name starts with a J. So the only person in the family whose name has ever not started with a J is the mom, Michelle. Yeah. So the oldest son, all six of his kids, their names start with an M, which oh, he did no. as like a... He did a, you know, like a, okay, well, you were the only M, so we're going to use M. Oh, I hate that. Um, as far as, so some of the other kids only have one kid so far, so it's hard to know. Um, but everyone with multiple kids does not, right? I'm, I'm looking at a list now. I just pulled up, right? I'm like, <laughs> Jill and Derek have Samuel and Israel. Jill uses birth control. Um, what? She uses non-hormonal birth control, but she's kind of the one who's like pulled away the most. Okay. She's not supposed to, though, right? No, she is not supposed to. Her and her family basically, like, have had a lot of falling outs about that and other things. She also wears pants and has a nose ring and wears tank tops. So, like... Which which Duggar is this? Jill. Jill Duggar. Yeah. All right, I'm Googling her. Um, Oh, yeah. She don't give a fuck. Yep. Jessa and Ben... Oh, my God. I'm just... Again, you can cut this out. I just need to tell you how upsetting this is to me. So Jessa, she has three kids, right? And her first child, her and her husband were like, we want to name them after like powerful Christian figures, right? Like people, not Bible. As you do. Right. And so there's some guy named Charles Spurgeon who was like a, I don't know, whatever. This child's first name is Spurgeon. His name is Spurgeon Elliot. And I was like, surely his name could have been Charles. Spurgeon sounds like sperm. It sounds like the person who performs a vasectomy. Oh, a Spurgeon. <laughs> <laughs> I have to keep this in just for that you line do. now. But so Son they, of a bitch, that's so funny. So they named this child Spurgeon Elliot. And then they're having another baby, right? 
They named him Henry. And I was like, no, no, no. You can't have Spurgeon and Henry. But don't worry, because Henry's middle name is Wilberforce. I have so many things. And then they're having a daughter. And I'm like, okay, let's see what the hell they're going to name this daughter. Ivy Jane. That's like normal as hell. That's actually a cute ass name. I'm like, how did we go from Spurgeon Elliot to Henry Wilberforce to like Ivy Jane? (laughs) Sorry. Wilberforce. Like, what is It's bad. We always end up talking about people with crazy weird names. Yeah. It's, I think it's an obsession I have. It is. I love it. Well, ladies and gentlemen, hopefully you stuck it out to hear (laughs) some of the history of the Duggars because, wow, maybe we'll have to add them to our list because, yeah, I don't know. Maybe we'll have to do a series on the Duggars like we do a series on the Don't tempt me. So, (laughs) all right, folks, have a good day. Thanks for listening. (laughs) Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to What the History Podcast. You can find us on Instagram and Twitter at WTHistoryPod. You're also welcome to email us at WhatTheHistoryPodcast at gmail.com with topic suggestions or questions. Please subscribe to the podcast so that upcoming episodes show up in your feed and we will talk to you soon.